this one. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the two-man game here on Klabe's Online. I'm Bob Ramsey. That is my partner, Mac Rocchio, and we're here to talk hoops with you like we do a couple of times a week on Klabe's Online. Rock, how you doing? I'm doing good, Rammer. It took me 41 episodes to screw that up. No one noticed. <laughs> the uh, So let's jump right in. Some news. As, as If you're just joining us for the first time ever, we talk a lot of slew basketball, a lot of NBA some general college basketball in between, and then whatever comes to, to our minds. Um, so slew news the last couple of days, actually Monday, where uh, Javante Perkins um, confirmed there was some hope uh, by a lot of folks, but he confirmed that he is indeed returning to play one more year of college basketball uh, at St. Louis University, um, his sixth year, but it'll be his fifth year of playing. Um, and, uh, so that's, that's great news for St. Louis university that Javante is coming back. Yeah, obviously incredible news. And I, you know, we didn't get a chance to really talk about him much because of the injury this year. We, we, we started the podcast kind of right, right as the injury was happening. So, you know, that was, that was a huge bummer. So the, the opportunity to get to see him again, uh, and, and play with this team, obviously, you know, knock on wood, everything goes, uh, good with his rehabilitation. There's not any other injuries. It's obviously so exciting. Uh, you know, happy for him. You know, I think if he really, you know, gets a shot this year and, and obviously, you know, we'd be talking about a, a season where they kind of have to bring him in a little bit in early in the season and, and kind of probably hit full drive maybe right as conference play starts but if he can really show out I, I think it's going to be great for his career and I'm obviously happy for him and, and happy for St. Louis uh, Billikens fans who are going to get a chance to see one more year of you know work and progress on a lot of young players a lot of talented players and I think it's going to be a really fun season uh, I'm not surprised that we're thinking a lot alike uh, on that in fact I after the announcement was made I tweeted that I didn't want to be that guy the rain on the parade guy um, the turd and the punch bowl guy. I didn't want to be that guy, but I just want to temper folks' enthusiasm. I'm so excited he's coming back. I'm really happy for him. But um, he had a devastating knee injury. Mm -hmm. Then an ACL, MCL, I believe it was. It was another major ligament and some bone fracture. It was a devastating injury. The season will start almost exactly 12 months from when he had his surgery. We, we hear about athletes all the time coming back in 12 months and sometimes even a little sooner. But I'm telling you, you're not as good as you're going to be for probably 18 months. And so I think your uh, presumptive timetable is one that is far more reasonable. Let's get him healthy. Let's get him confident in his mind that I can make all the moves I need to make off that leg. I can do a hard jump stop and leap off that leg. You know, I can make hard cuts pushing off that leg. I can do all those things. Let's let him get his confidence back. And whereas I know people are enthusiastic, 22 points a game out of the gate start. Maybe I'm not saying that's impossible, be amazing. but I would say let's temper and then be thrilled rather than shoot for the moon right off the bat and be disappointed. I think you're right. I think as midseason rolls along, we're going to see Javante back to where he can be. And playing great late, I think, will be Javante Perkins' 
senior year, if you will, legacy, that he'll be great late. And I think like so many teams in Division One or anywhere, really, that you want to be playing at your best as you get into February, approaching March. And I think Perkins might be a guy, you know, let's draw a graph line on his um, his progress and see if it mirrors how the Billikens play next year. Yeah, exactly. And, and also, you know, and we're going to get a little bit into this as, as well. I think beginning of the season, there's a good chance you're, you're incorporating, you know, some – new players into the team. And so it's yeah. almost a thing where non-conference, t- you know, non-conference uh, schedule, maybe some of the earlier games, especially you're getting some of these transfers who are most likely going to be in this roster. You're getting some of these younger players who you have high hopes for being able to contribute early and often, and you're getting them some more time. And, you know, you're trying to figure things out because there's a good chance that there are two or three spots that, you know, add up to about 30, 40 minutes per game that you are that are leaving from last year. And so you are going to have a little bit uh, of kind of mesh time, including Javante Perkins meshing back into a team that developed a lot since the last time he was able to play with them. And so there's going to be a lot of that kind of working time, and I think it will be, it'll be interesting to see how exactly they bring him in. And, again, one of the main reasons it's going to be interesting is because you know, the, the question is, is Jordan Nesbitt still going to go into the draft? Is he going to pull his name out? Potentially, that's still that's still in the cards. And then you also have a report from our uh, uh, good friend uh, Frank Cusimano earlier today on his radio show over at 590 The Fan. He was talking about how they, they, they're they in on uh, a Euro prospect and that they're yeah. very high on right now, uh, who would be a forward. We've talked a little bit about that profile being perfect for what they need. Uh, and then you also heard, uh, I believe, that they're in on um, – LSU guard Xavier Pinson, former Mizzou guard Xavier Pinson. Uh, and that kind of potentially might seem like kind of a smaller role than we would expect from him. But that backup point guard, a guy who can spell Yuri and run the offense, that also seems to be in the cards. So, so there's a, there's still a lot of roster yeah. movement that's going to come. And some of it, I think most of it will come in the next two months uh, by Memorial Day. But I wouldn't be a bit surprised if there's one or two last slots to be manipulated, maybe even as school's getting ready to start. Absolutely, and, and we'll uh, we'll keep you up to date on that as it goes. But obviously, you know, uh, congratulations to Javante, congratulations to St. Louis University, and obviously good luck to him on these next, you know, six months of, of you know, his rehab getting ready for the season. Obviously, we're going to be excited to talk about it. Absolutely right. So let's, let's move on to the final four. Um, the first, the Elite Eight last weekend. Saturday, we had two great games. Sunday, we had two stinkers, kind of, in that the uh, the outcome um, uh, wasn't in question, you know, by midway in the second half. Certainly in the Kansas game, a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, that first half, I honestly thought, you know, Miami was doing a good job. Obviously, I mean that's not that's not a groundbreaking tape. They were actually up by six. It's just you don't you don't ever expect a team to somehow get held to 15 points across an entire half of college basketball, especially in the Elite Eight. That was an unbelievable performance by Kansas there in the second half. And you know, as much as I want to give some credit to Kansas, that was I I don't know what happened in the locker room at halftime because Miami looked completely out of sorts from the word go. Well, I don't, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I, I I don't know. I'm sure there's a metric to show momentum. Yeah. I don't know if there's a metric to show why momentum changes. But I'll tell you when it happened. And I should have looked up the number. You may even know it off the top of your head. 
it was the Christian Braun Brown, Christian Brown, five minute or five point riff. Oh, yeah. Came down the lane and dunked. Kansas gets a stop. They go in transition and he hits a three. The rest of the that absolutely that right there. That's a really good point. Yeah. Change the momentum. And obviously, every basketball game is, 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 you know, you need everybody to play and do their things and how you're playing defense and all those things. But momentum did a flip. And that was when it flipped. Oh, and this is perfect. Okay. So um, looking at the play by play right now, 1605. So four minutes into the second half, he hits that dunk. They get a they get a stop on a, on a Miami th- on a Miami three pointer. They come down. Christian Braun then hits the three pointer. Five points. It was four, they were down forty to thirty eight before the dunk. They came away up forty three to forty, and from that point on, they outscored them thirty three to ten. So you say, well, how did that happen? Well, somebody missed an assignment on Brown down the lane. He starts feeling it. Player there. The, Players are not metrics. They're people. And he gets a dunk. Now, you know, if you work and get inside and you get a layup and you come down, layups are great. And you say maybe it doesn't make a difference. But you get a dunk. You get a stop. They miss a shot. Now you fire it down the floor, pull up from the right wing for three. And I'm telling you, the Kansas fans all of a sudden are going bonkers. Yep. Christian, uh, uh, Christian Brown, I think – plays with a lot of emotion, which is genetic. His dad played that way at SLU. His mom played that way at Mizzou. It doesn't surprise me. And momentum is a real thing. Uh, Sometimes it's hard to point it out and figure it out, but I feel like that was it in that game. Yeah, that's a really good point. Because – it did feel right. Yeah, it, it felt like it shifted right around the five or six. I would I would have said the five or six minute mark. Yeah. Um, and I just had to call it out. Um, because yeah, it, by by that time it was clearly Kansas was running away with it. I think I think right around that mark, they a uh, graphic had popped up that was like a twelve to four, twelve to three run, and then you just felt it shift. And again, Kansas when they those athletes, and that's the thing about having a number one team with you know, these blue bloods. It's just at, at, there's a point where in these games where they start hitting their shots, they start getting stops, and it's just it's just going to roll down the hill against a team that just doesn't have that level of talent. And that was a night when Kansas just took over. Yeah, and so now we look ahead to the, these, these these dream matchups. Um, Villanova, you know, let's still, I'm not going to worry about the semantics or the, or, or the definition of blue bloods or whatever. Villanova certainly has established themselves as one of the great programs in the country over the last 20 years. I mean, they, I mean, the winning two out of three championships is just, I mean, that's ridiculous. You go back in history to, you know, teams that have won two in that span, you know, it's back-to-back Florida, it's back-to-back Duke, and I think there's one other back-to-back, and I don't think there's any other two and three. So, I mean, we're talking about literally something that only Duke and, and Florida did, and no one, no, one, no one calls Florida a blue blood. They just obviously had a great run of under Billy Donovan, but still, I mean, that's just, at this point with Jay Wright, it's not it's not Billy Donovan in Florida. It's It's something he's built across a long period of time. Yeah, and so however long he's been at Villanova, you know, uh, if they're if they're not a blue blood, they're at least new money, and yeah. uh, and you, sometimes you got to say, okay, new money's real money. Um, the and then I think you know uh, 
The other thing that I think is real interesting about this, you know, the the real way, the real way to judge a high major program versus a mid major is is uh, um, budget. That's the real way you measure it. But it's not very much fun to just kind of look at at, at program budgets, okay? And then you'll have an every so somebody point. somebody read a story about St. Peter's and was like, "This is math, and I'm not happy about it." Yeah, and so and so you got, but but even within that, you've got high major conferences. We're at the bottom of the conference. The budgets, you know, probably not there. You know, with you know, you got your Vanderbilts and your Northwesterns and your, um, you know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what Stanford's athletic budget is. I don't imagine it's the same as, as Arizona. That's a wild guess, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, so budget's the right way, but we're not going to go through that. And that Bob, Bob, I'm a Mizzou fan in the era of the SEC. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. So I think the simple way, although flawed, I admit flawed for those who want to hammer at us, um, is football, non-football. So then what do you do with the Big East? Yeah, they're they're high major, but they don't have football. I'm telling you, football money, even if it's not, it's a separate budget in the athletic department, football money and culture changes things. It just does. Now, which is how you wait, which is how you know UConn isn't a real football program. That's exactly right. Go ahead. That's exactly right. (laughs) A gratuitous (laughs) shot at UConn, but but a correct one. Thank you. Um, The uh but here's what's interesting about my theory, whether we agree or not, or our, our viewers agree or not, is not the point. The other three blue bloods in there are in high major football conferences, but are terrible at football. Yeah, that's a good point. Terrible at football. That's a good point. And, and, and so somebody would say, well, how do you explain that? And I just go, I can't. I can't explain it, except that They've been so good for so long at basketball. They're basketball schools in football conferences. Yeah. And and um, they're obviously power five football and high major basketball. And I think it's I, I think that three of the four, and if you count new money, four of the four are established, winning, long-term winning culture programs. And it's not an accident. That, that those are the programs that win year in, year out. It's not an accident. Not at all. Not at all. I, I, I want I want some some damn upsets and, and some Cinderella's in the Final Four, but this isn't the year for it. Oh, well, the big th- surprising thing to me has been the fact that in the first couple rounds, I was very, um, not for any malicious reason, but, you know, I, I like seeing a Goliath fall. Um, yeah. I, I, I was, I was okay with seeing coach K get ousted early in the tournament. I wasn't, I wasn't into the nostalgia of the run. Right. And then they won that elite eight game and I was like, ah, crap. There's, <laughs> there's, I mean, there's just sometimes where you just got to throw it up. You just gotta, you just gotta throw it up to the sports gods yeah. and you're just like, yep. You know what? Somehow the universe puts this thing together in just some insane ways. I mean, the Steelers go on the run. Jerome Bettis is last year. You know, John Elway wins two to end his, in his career, even crazier meta ones like the Patriots and Yankees winning in 2001 and like crazy. Like how the hell does that, how do the hell do those things freaking cross like that? And it's just, of course, coach K has, 
has a ha, will ha, is going to have a shot because I, I firmly believe in the first ever UNC Duke game in the NCAA tournament, which is just freaking wild, by the way. Um, also, just shows you how good they've been and how you get to you get favoring. Uh, uh, they they stick you they stick you in different conferences or sides of the bracket. They don't stick you in different sides of the bracket a lot. Yeah, and. It's just the fact that we have this game now. He can beat UNC to go to the final and then win the final. Literally cut down the nets as his last thing in college basketball. I I honestly wouldn't hate it if Duke won, and that's the first time in my life I've said that, unless I'm talking about Duke football because I like an underdog and they suck, like you said. So I'm honestly kind of rooting for Duke to win this one because I think it was just it's just at some point, like you said, yeah, I'm hooked. You just got to surrender yourself to, to fate and when the universe tells you something's about to happen. You know, it, it just is what it is. Now, um, I'm kind of in on Duke now. Having said that, the fact that these two teams are playing each other, North Carolina and Duke, they split in the regular season, beating the other at their, at their home gym. They're playing each other. You've got Coach K. And then you've got Hubert Davis in his first year at North Carolina. Now you want to talk about, um, you know, uh, the dark side of the universe, but there, there is something to be said for North Carolina fans that we ended Krzyzewski's career. Yeah, that's, I mean. And, and, and that is something that Duke fans will never be able to get back. It, yeah. It, I don't, I don't, UNC, it's a negative thing, yeah. except if you're a Carolina fan. Like, we can all appreciate the crazy – just the crazy chances of, of Duke actually winning in Krzyzewski's last game and all that. But, you know, that that's something we can all kind of appreciate uh, in a way. Yeah. UNC fan, UNC basketball fans, just having something that – in fairness to them – beautiful and concrete to throw in the Duke's faces for the rest of time. That's, that's not, that's not fair. I don't, I don't want UNC (laughs) to have that. That's too much in their favor. Like, come on. Like you already have like the greatest player ever went to your school and hit a game winning shot, like to win a title. Like you have that already. It's like, I also, like, I don't want like at the same time, some people would say, well, you want Duke to have like the most storybook win ever. Eh, it won't be Jim Valvano running around the court looking for somebody to hug. So I'll live with that. Um, so yeah, I I, I kind of you know I don't want UNC to have that. That's I hadn't thought about that. I don't want UNC to have that. That's too much. That's too. Oh well, God. That's like ACC... I mean that's that's like Mizzou fans' version of the 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 clod of black and gold dirt in Todd Reesing's helmet. Like we use yeah. we will we will use it till the end of time. Now here's the other thing that's interesting about that. Let's say Carolina would win, and and have that over Duke. That would kind of make them the evil empire of the ACC moving forward. Even though Hubert Davis seems like a great guy, he's a hell of a coach, and it's a great story, but they'll be the bad guy. Yeah, that's true. You're you're not wrong. And, and, I don't know, Grayson Allen still exists in the world, so there's still always that. True. So, And then you look at the other side. It's a a tough break for Villanova losing a guy with the Achilles going into this. they're still going to be formidable, and uh, uh, Villanova will be. But uh, Kansas—it seems like Kansas is playing better every game. I mean, if they if they give if they play 
70% of that 15-minute stretch against Miami across 40 minutes, they'll win the game by, you know, eight, eight points. You know, it won't – like, just their ability when that team gets rolling, it's – Bill Self's an evil genius, and I, 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 I will – I'll put the emphasis on evil. Uh, the guy's just an incredible coach, and when, when Kansas gets in their bag, they're going to be hard to stop. And the only thing that can stop them this year is fate. Well, I think the keys for them will be defending the three – you're not going to stop it, but make them make Villanova shoot at a lower percentage, and you got to beat them to the free throw line. You've got you've, you know, it's an old. I didn't make this up. Obviously, it's a trite thing, but it'd be so true. It's almost true in every game. It'll certainly be in this one. You got to make more free throws than they take. Yeah, that's so. If yeah. you go, you go twenty of twenty six, and they go, you know. Um, you know, 15 of 18, you got they shoot a higher percentage, but you're making more than they take. That's going to be real critical. All right, it's going to be fun this weekend. And one of the reasons we're kind of breaking down the Final Four right now is because uh, on Thursday's episode, we're going to be recording an interview with uh, Rob Fisher, a uh, St. Louis native who has been down in Memphis covering the Grizzlies for a very long time. So we're going to talk a lot of uh, a lot of NBA, a lot of Grizzlies content on Thursday. So obviously we wanted to get some of the Final Four content out there. In fact, we're going to talk a lot of NBA. That's going to be kind of one of our, our, yeah. our biggest NBA shows we're ever going to do because we're going to, we're going to talk with Rob and then we're going to talk a little NBA uh, in a addition to our conversation with Rob. So uh, a little slew download, a little NCAA Final Four, uh, and then we're going to get a huge, huge NBA uh, episode here later in the week, Rob. Hey, one quick thing before we break. As I as as college is, wrap, is wrapping up and I have more time to watch NBA, and you've, you've sort of touched on it, if I recall, early in the season. Um, and not that, not that maintenance days and injuries aren't real. I'm not suggesting any kind of conspiracy. But I feel like if it's not a problem, it needs to be it needs to be looked at that too often the road team is just simply not playing their best guys night after night after night after night. And I think it hurts the game. Okay, you want the home team to win for their fans. That's a good thing. But you also want them to see marquee players. And I feel like at least I'd like to bring it up as uh, a question, is the NBA uh, setting their stars on the road too much? Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the NBA higher ups hate it. You know, they've been they've been trying to, you know, they've incorporated a fine system, but teams can get around it by being, yeah. you know, pretty vague with, you know, the injuries they have, especially when you get here late in the season, you can, you can plausibly say a player has, you know, any number of injuries. And I think it would be hard for, for them to argue that he can't play at all. Um, so I think that's a big issue. So the, does the NBA have to come down harder on teams a little bit? Yeah, I think so. Uh, the problem is, uh, they have to do it in a really specific way because at no point will the headline, uh, NBA, you know, NBA worried about ticket sales, you know, forcing teams to, you know, play their players more or something like that, like some, some BS headline that's going to frame it as this is a money move and to the detriment of the players is going to, you know, be hard for them to sell. But that's, that's how it's going to be portrayed by people who don't want to go that way. The bottom line is they have to work on the schedule. They have to change the back-to-backs, um, but teams have to stop holding players out. And the reason, the way you fix that is to also fix tanking so that teams are not okay yes. winning as many games or losing as many games and those kind of things. So there's a lot of different tendrils to kind of fix that problem. But it is a little bit of a problem, and I think this year we've got a more competitive 
and more parody, you know, strong NBA. Which is but, a good thing. I, but I think, yeah, the fact that it's still this bad in this season tells you that there's something underlying that's a, that's a much bigger problem. Um, on that note, we got a big NBA show for you coming up on Thursday with Rob Fisher, part of the Memphis Grizzlies crew, and he's been covering the NBA in person for a long time now, and he'll give us his insight, and we'll take a look at what is now my favorite NBA team until uh, until a Billiken player makes the league. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. Rock, have a great uh, next couple of days, and we'll get to get together again on Thursday. Talk to you on Thursday, Rammer. That's Matt Rock. You, I'm Bob Ramsey. The two-man game right here on Claves Online. St. Louis Acura is the only Acura dealer in the nation to win the Precision Team Award for 30 years. How do we do it? By making you, our customers, our number one priority. As others increase their fees and take advantage of limited inventory, we keep our prices low because we remain committed to becoming better than ever and treating you as we want to be treated. We want you coming back and sending your friends and family to a veteran-owned, family-based business you can trust. St. Louis Acura, better than ever for you.